Welcome to Not Your Ordinary Parts podcast, a podcast where we talk about hard things associated with the human experience with the goal of increasing awareness, growth, and healing. Uh, you may hear information from professional licensed therapists. However, the information is not therapy. It's not meant to replace actual therapy or instructions given by a personal licensed therapist. I'm your host, Jalon Johnson. My guest today is Cynthia Perez. She's a first-generation Chicana therapist. She specializes in ancestral healing and inner child trauma. That's a big one. Um, I've had the pleasure of meeting Cynthia, and man, we had such a great conversation. I'm so excited to have you as a guest. So, Cynthia, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Um, good. I'm, I'm really grateful that you're here and that you're willing to do this with me. And um, to get started, if you will, I guess maybe tell us a little bit about what it means to be a first-generation Chicana therapist. Wow. Thank you so much, Jay. I, I'm really honored to be here because you, if I may say, you found me and we started talking and I was like, oh my gosh, he's like picking up what I'm putting down. And that has been such a great like blessing and motivator because I really want to talk to people like you. So thank you so much. Um, and thank you for asking that question. First-generation Chicana therapist. Wow. Well, I got my bachelor's in Chicano Latino studies in 2006, and I didn't really know what a Chicana was in high school, but I started taking this uh, high school history class of, in Mexico history. And it was just a class I had to take, and I found myself fascinated. I had never seen my people talked about in history and in California history, no less. Right. Because so to, to witness uh, Mexican history, I had to start taking more classes. And so this was by a professor of Chicano studies. So I learned what Chicano studies was so much that I ended up getting my bachelor's in it. And my dad's like, you went to college to learn how to be Mexican. And I'm like, yeah, but it's paying <laughs> off. So Chicana is a term that you self-identify as. And it really means um, Mexican descendants, but born in the United States. So it's also um, a connotation for a political involvement. It really means that we're an advocate. So you can say Mexican-American, but I choose to say Chicana, which lets you know that I am more of an advocate and an abolitionist. It kind of gives that political undertone. Um, and first generation means that I was born here, but my parents are immigrants from Mexico. So I want people to know that I'm a first generation Chicana therapist. So they know what they're getting. And if they're looking for that, I want them to know that um, I, I work from that lens. I understand the the child of immigrant lens. And that's the the framework that I use. Thanks. Wow. And and I guess to, to be the first one in your family to be able to... Um, to have such a, 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 a huge transition, I guess, into doing something that allows you to give back. Cause I remember you were telling me about um, the humble beginning that you had. And now that you're in a position uh, kind of almost to give back to those who started where you started. Yeah, I actually was approached to do a contract when I was already wanting to leave my big healthcare job. And this was really a blessing, I think, from my ancestors. Somebody approached me, a therapist, and said, would you like to do contract work? And I'm actually doing contract work with um, Medi-Cal clients in Central California. So really, they're farm workers and anybody in the factories. Um, everyone is able to get free therapy, and I get to work with them and their family. And it's really full circle because it's people like me 
children of immigrants and they're like, why are my parents like this? And I'm like, oh, let's talk. And I really feel like I've finally been able to do the work I want to do, how I want to do it. And with the people that are, you know, wanting to receive it. So it's, yeah, it's been really divine timing. That's awesome. And you had mentioned that yeah. um, there was a particular contract that you had gotten from like a celebrity yeah, you want me to? Okay, so Eva Longoria, I was, I didn't even know this. Um, she did a grant. She has her master's in Chicano studies too. And in the pandemic, she was concerned about the farm workers because, you know, they haven't had a break from the pandemic. They have to work every day, even through COVID. And um, they actually had the highest suicide rate in 2020 because they didn't see an end to this. So she created a grant that provides free mental health for farm workers and their family at no cost and it's telehealth or in person um i think our contract is until 2024 so we are getting paid a really fair rate um we get to really be flexible but the work we get to do is so beautiful there's not like this gatekeeping of doing it in a colonial way and so i'm really fortunate that this grant was created and i wish more people knew about it because it's so beautiful but it is there and it's real and so every week that i get to do it i'm really really fortunate i meet people that are like maybe uh 60 spanish speaking all the way to 20 in college, English speaking. And so the work I get to do is just like, I call it from the womb to the tomb. My friend called me. She's like, you're like a, you're like a death and dying social worker. I was like, but she's was like, you, you talk about like uh, childhood and then you talk about ancestry. And I was like, dang. So I'm just honored to be, you know, carried in this purpose, but yeah, it's a really great grant. And I'm really glad to know that people are putting money towards this. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like it's got to be rewarding to be able to do it and specialize with with your own culture. So um, I'm happy that you got that. And to to get it from Eva Longoria, I mean, that's that's got to be like a, a pretty big thing, too. And and I'm glad that, like, you know, to see somebody in her position actually giving back. That's that's really cool. That's really Yeah. Cool. And also, like, it's kind of cool because. You know, I got my degree in 2006, then I got my master's in 2010 of social work, but I've always been this advocate, an abolitionist, like maybe in a life, like in, in other lifetimes, I was, you know, on the front lines. I don't know, but there's something that's always been inside of me. But when I would say Chicano Latino studies back before the pandemic, people would be like, what's that? And now I see it everywhere, this decolonized work, um, the BIPOC and all this, and people are talking about social justice therapy and restorative justice. I'm like, I've been on that. People would tell me that I talk about sad stuff too much. People would tell me, why do you always have to bring up racism? Why do you have to bring up oppression? And I always felt, honestly, Jay, like, oh my God, why do I have to talk about it? And, you know, um, and now I'm like, oh, look, look who was in their values <laughs> the whole time, you know? So I feel good that I'm like, you know, but thank you. That's awesome. So another thing that is like, you know, like the term gaslighting was the, the, you know, 2002 word of the year or whatever. Another, another big thing that everybody talks about is childhood trauma. Um, and I know that is something that I have had to, to do a deep dive into, to really like understand my, my hows and whys. And it's something that you specialize in. So can we talk about that for a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. What do you want to, what do you want to talk about just in general, how I got into it or what, well, it, what we yeah, like it, with your clients and, you know, because what I've noticed is that a lot of the things that um, 
molded and shaped me as a little person are defining who I am now. And, and because our parents didn't have the best knowledge of, or not even knowledge per se, but just, they didn't really deal with their emotions, you know, uh, the boomers and, and then their parents it, being emotional or, or processing and feeling your feelings just wasn't something that was done. And I think because they didn't do it, they passed it on to us. And then now we're realizing like, why are we like this? You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I, I, I really stepped out on my own work and put my name on this work. And I was like, what's going to be different. And so it was really a moment where I realized I'm the therapist, but I got a lot of childhood trauma here. How has this impacted my work? my lens, right? How has this impacted the way systems shape me as a therapist to treat you? How has this impacted my own reactions? And so childhood trauma, yes. Um, I realized that a lot of, well, once I started realizing that a lot of my clients share stories with me that I've also experienced, and yet I'm taught to tell them something different. And so with childhood trauma, it always comes back to childhood. You know, like you might say, like, I don't want to talk about that, but it's I promise you it's going to come back to childhood in some way. So, yeah, um, I've noticed in myself this this pandemic, the childhood trauma comes back. But in the work that I love to do, it's like, how can we talk about our childhood trauma aces? Right. Talk about our aces score and really see it as data in a way that's like, oh, it's not me and I'm defective. It's systemic data. It's the way that systems were forcing your parents to have to rush you or not have time for your emotions. So really looking at childhood trauma from an oppressive, systemically oppressive lens. Um, I really think that that is what we're all kind of doing now in this post pandemic, not even post pandemic, but in this time. What are, okay, because you specialize in childhood trauma, like what, what are some things that you would say you see in a lot of your clients when it comes to that inner little person that that maybe they didn't get validated or you know they they were never told they they were okay or they didn't sure. feel special and things like that. You know, you know what, Jay? I worked in county systems. I worked in healthcare. I've done so many social work jobs and I've learned CBT, trauma-focused, DBT, all these things. And I didn't really learn about inner child work until um, about five years ago. And it's by Carl Jung, a psychologist. And I kept wondering why nobody talks about our inner child. And that is because we kept doing things that were in the head, making sense. But with childhood trauma, you really have to feel it. You have to drop into your body, get out of this and drop into where you're feeling it, your spirit, your body. And that is how we can, you know, we can attend to it. Um, but I think for so many of us, we weren't given space. And even when we did go to therapy, I'm talking about even like this year, therapists have been doing it all in the head instead of the body and the trauma is in the body. Um, mm -hmm. So it's really important to me because what I was seeing is a lot of things like me. I mean, I'll say it and I want people to know we therapists are probably therapists because we have trauma ourselves. And so we're using our people, people, people pleasing or our mediating skills to be your therapist. And that can kind of be harmful if we're not unpacking. But with childhood trauma, I'm seeing a lot of not wanting to take up space. Um, maybe they don't do like for you. I think it's so cool that you made a podcast where so many people have a great idea to have a podcast and don't do it because they're like, who am I to do it? 
Um, what do I have to say? What's important? And that's childhood trauma of maybe your parents saying like, why are you talking right now? You know, respect me. I'm the authority. You don't know. Or maybe we had parents who told us what to do at every moment. We're overbearing. Um, we're all up in our business. And so we've learned to not trust ourselves. And I think that these are big traumas that we might not even consider. We just think of like physical trauma. I remember thinking, well, my dad spanked me and everybody got spanked, but it was once I really tackled the emotional stuff that I was like, oh, that is trauma too. But I think so often our client, my clients think that it's not trauma. It's just how they were treated. And that is absolutely where the trauma starts. You know, did you feel good in your body? Did you have to start disassociating from your body because the pain was too big when you were a kid? And all of that we carry and we just sink it down and we're like, one day I'll get to that. And we don't get to get to it. And now we're adults and life goes on. So it's going to go back to that untapped trauma that we didn't get to process. We didn't get to move in us. Yeah. yeah, that's so true. I've I've been reading a lot, um, and I've I've learned about how, like, it's funny because when we spoke last week, you talked about getting out of your head and dropping into the body, and I had never really heard it like that. But the trauma is in the body, you know, yeah. and it, whether it's big T trauma, which is the big things, or just small little little traumas that happen over and over and over, it's stored in our body, and that energy has to move, otherwise we won't be able to process it. So, yeah, that, I mean, you said a lot. What is um, epigenetic ancestral healing? Oh, thank you. That's a big question. I love it. <laughs> I just went to breakfast with Tina today and she was like, and I got to say, whenever I talk, I love, I mean, Jay, you know about it. So you're asking, mm -hmm. but I feel like you're really you've been reading up on it. It's so dope to talk to you about things that I'm like, and you're like, I know. So let's explain it. But I want you to explain it in your own ways too, because you have such a beautiful way of saying it. Um, but what for me, ancestral healing, well, epigenetics is our evolutionary gene that we've inherited to protect us. So I say evolutionary because just as it has been formed out of a need, it can be remolded out of a need. So, um, epigenetics is a marker in our genes that had to be created. And in a long form, the way that they found these genes is there were, there was a study done on lab rats. I know animals, sorry, but it was a study done on lab rats and they found that they had been giving this poison that was um, hidden inside this fruit to this rat and the rat, you know, uh, it, it didn't kill the rat, but the rat ended up having the poison and it, and anyway, the rat started to notice when the poison was in the food and learned to stay away from it. The, the rat goes on to have babies and they noticed that the offspring of the rat starts to stay away from the poison. The smell is like, get away, stay away. So researchers are like, what is this? And so what we found in humans is because we carry our trauma in our brainstem and our brainstem is carried through seven generations through our grandmother's womb and their womb, our brainstem is the DNA that's there. That DNA has this evolutionary piece like the rats to say, danger, stand back. I know what's going to happen. And so even if we're now met with this fear that would have made your grandmother run off or my grandmother freeze, maybe we have a different position of power now where we're like, why am I afraid when I own this house? Where is this fear coming from? And so consider it like this imaginary, like figurative switch that has been turned on to protect you a hundred years ago, but you might not need that now. And that is where we're constantly on edge. We might feel like triggered. We might feel startled. And we're wondering why 
it's happening to us. And so I want people to just consider that it could be your epigenetics. It's a transgenerational trauma that has been carried from each generation and they haven't been able to process it. Why? Because they probably didn't have the space, the economic support, the safety in their, maybe their immediate home or their community, right? To process this or to live in their truth. So it didn't ever get processed. So then they, maybe they died in suffering. They died in this protective mode. And so one thing that we say about epigenetics is the environment's different, but the pose is the same. So we find ourselves in our grandmother, grandfather's pose. And we're like, so that is the work of ancestral healing, moving that trauma out of our body, acknowledging it. Wow, grandma, is this your, is this your grief? This must've been really hard for you. And then moving, I say I'm a living ancestor or I'm a grandcestor. I've, I don't know. I just thought of that word, but moving like the ancestor that was having that pain so that they can get it out. And once we do this more often, we are actually changing our, our epigenetics. So I kind of say, it's like, if you, you know, the lights go off the breakers, you've, you've like turned off the breakers because you have too many things going anxiety, right? So your breakers are off in your house. Literally you go to the backyard, you find the breaker and I mean, you're a firefighter, so maybe you understand. When I go to the breaker, I'm like, what is this? If it's not labeled, right? I just see like this switch is up and this switch, right? Think about our epigenetics as our breaker. And when we go see it, this anger switch is like off the hinges. It's fizzling. It's It's been ready. Um, fear, scarcity, all these switches might be turned on in me, like up. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's why I'm reactive. That's why I, mm. people please. So in order to flip the switches down, because it's evolutionary, you got to be in the opposite, be in more joy, be in rest, rest that our ancestors didn't get to have. Do the things that they needed to do to process that grief in an ancestral way, drumming, singing, chanting, um, humming, cooking their ancestral foods. So moving in that way. And that is how we can move our epigenetic trauma into ancestral healing and radical joy. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. That, that was a lot. Sense. It's a lot. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's a lot, but like, when you actually sit with it and think about it, it makes so much sense. And if if it can be proven in lab rats, then how much more so can can we really understand like the things that our family went through? I mean, think of the wars, genocide, slavery, like all of that stuff. It's it's in us. And we're wondering why we're acting like we went through it when we didn't. And that's why a lot of us now are just in this position where we we feel like we're waking up and learning to understand that yes there there is something wrong but it, it doesn't necessarily have to be i don't have to live like this i don't have to have anxiety i can go to therapy i can process my my um traumas i can feel my feelings i, I yeah. know it's, it's scary it's it's scary to to drop down into your body and feel your feelings because you have all these protective parts that have been created to make sure that you don't get to that wound even if the wound is you know, your, your great grandmothers or your great grandfathers, it's still there because it's been implanted in our DNA. Right. So. And I, I know it's this big conversation, but the more I know about it, the more it's like pinned in my awareness and I can't stop thinking about it. But before we started recording, I told you that I had ADHD and that diagnosis has transformed my self-compassion for myself. Like, well, that's why you just tell people mm -hmm. like, you know, it's overwhelming, but I want us to feel like that about our, our epigenetics. Like it's not that we're a piece of shit that we're, why can't I get out of bed? I'm so depressed. Okay. 
you know, you are feeling centuries of trauma from your lineage and maybe your ancestors know that you have time to rest and maybe the best thing is to rest. They didn't get to. So flipping the story, we're telling ourselves that we're lazy, that something's wrong with us and saying, wow, you've been carrying so much. And also acknowledging that our ancestors, they want us to do better. They want us to be in our peace, even if they might have shamed therapy in the past. I, you know, I really believe that they're here to tell us, like, do what makes you feel enjoy because we couldn't. We were in survival for you. And may I share something that like really shook this like knowing in me? Sure. So I've been thinking about epigenetics in my own postpartum way. And like, why did I have postpartum? Like, I wanted this baby. I had a good job in healthcare, free healthcare. Like, what's there to worry about? What could go wrong? I have a supportive partner. Everything was supposed to be great. And yet I had this longing, this pull to like get out of there. And in, in listening to my mother's story and her mother's story of constantly being abandoned pregnant and her, you know, my grandfather was working in a different country and sending money, this constant fear and having to detach from her feelings because you got to get food on the table. And then I saw this picture. um, I think it's called, well, it's this, it's this uh, Instagram that I really love. I think it's called. Oh, it's something, the archives, but it's this black man who does history on enslaved peoples and just, just oppression in the U S and he posted this picture of a slave trade and the caption was, and it was real writing. And it was just basically uh, showing a drawing that somebody had drawn in that time of a mother, her baby was literally being taken off the teat and sold at an auction. And then you see the other baby, um, you know, about to be sold too. And you see the mother. And when I looked at the picture with all this awareness, my body turned stone cold and I understood it. I understood epigenetics in that, in that drawing because that mother, this is in slave time. This was like, I don't know, 1500, 1600. And I understood that mother, that black mother that they were taking her baby. And so her body had to do what? Shut it down. She probably went on to have other babies because that's what they did, right? Forced, um, like forced uh, children. And sometimes enslaved people would would um, feel really upset. And what could you do but like disassociate? So I saw it in that thing, how this lineage of postpartum gets passed down. And I see it in Latino community. Um, a lot of times we might send our children in a different country just for safety and just hope that they get there okay. Now for mothers to do this, to separate from their children, something major has to go on for them to survive this. And when I saw that picture of that mother um, and her children, I I froze and I'm like, that's the picture that people need to understand with how we get postpartum, how it is so in our generations that something triggered this, I'm not gonna get too close to my baby. This is why I cringed at, being touched out because it's this fear of if I get too close to this baby, what could happen? Does that make sense? I know that's heavy. Wow. <laughs> it makes perfect sense because I mean, they say a mother's love, nothing is stronger than a mother's love, right? So having to separate from your child, but yet still live or or have to survive, you have to be stonewall. Like you have, you can't feel at all, no emotions. Otherwise, you'd be miserable and sick, and especially if you're a slave, because you have to go do whatever you're supposed to do. So you have to completely detach from your emotions. And and there goes that rage that we get. Like, mm. why do I feel this rage? Uh, maybe you were pissed. 
And you couldn't even grieve. So you rage and you you did some shit and then it's passed on in your lineage. And so when these triggers come up, you're like, <gasps> and it's like, man, what did your grandmother's grandmother's grandmothers go through? And the compassion we can have for our grandmothers and ourselves for carrying all this. And if we feel it in this much, imagine what they went through, you know? Of course. Um, one thing I realized is, you know, because I've been almost three years now in therapy and I've seen a few different therapists. Um, it's difficult. It's, it's, it is hard to get to a point where you can be vulnerable and get naked emotionally with someone. You have to have trust. You have to feel safe. And that I, I believe that your therapist has to be a good fit for you to where that you could, you could feel all of those things and, and unload your emotions. And act, like you said, drop into your body. And because of, you know, the things that my ancestors went through, I don't, I don't feel like a lot of people where I'm from or who look like me do this work because it's just not in our DNA to feel our feelings. So for me to be able to do this and to, to do a, a segment like this or to have a podcast where I can be a bridge to others and, uh, you know, let them see that it's okay to be vulnerable um, or it's okay to feel your feelings. And, you know, sayings like real men don't cry is nonsense, you know, or, you know, when I grew up, you were a punk if you cried or if, if you were emotional. And I believe that a lot of us just got stuck in that. And then once you get stuck in that, you, you can't get out of it unless you process those feelings and emotions. And it carries on into your relationships um, as a father, as a husband, as a boyfriend, you know, just whatever at work everywhere you are that person and until you can process that energy and get it out and actually like you say drop into your body it, it leaves you stuck and it, mm. it hurts you it hurts you in in all the ways to to where the person that you should be or that you want to be you don't even know how to be that person because you literally have this wall in front of you this invisible wall that is preventing you from from being vulnerable and authentic and on the other side of that wall is someone as beautiful and vulnerable as you, like like you, because you said, I, I know that because I've been that. And now, you know, you write so expressively and so beautifully. I think people might think like, oh, but you're here to say like, no, I know what the wall feels like. And, you know, there's a really beautiful book, um, My Grandmother's Hands. And Resma, he's a therapist and he is, he's a black therapist and he talks about the racialized body. And it makes sense why you have to detach from your body when if you're taught that your your black body is dangerous or it's mm. something to be feared or you should be in fear when you step out because of the color of your skin, you know, that has to have some effect of drop like disassociating from the body that you're wearing because maybe that helps you feel safe. So there we are in our head because we're not going to be in our dangerous body. But when we can embrace our body, who really needs the hug and the compassion yeah, but it makes sense why, you know, um, people of color, black and brown people feel like that because it's a very real threat. So we try to like escape it, but it's like the opposite. We need to, you know, really embrace our body, but it's hard. Yeah, it's, it is. And I think one of the ultimate goals that we don't even really, you know, think about or, or put in words is the fact that we, we all just want to feel safe at the end of the day, safe internally. 
Um, and getting the safety is, is the hard part because of our lineage and, and all the work that it takes to, to be vulnerable and, you know, to get to a place where you can, can be authentic because of, of all the protective parts and adapt, uh, adaptive mechanisms that we have, you know, adopted to, to protect ourselves from what we feel is danger. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So. I don't want to take up your whole day. I, I know he said we keep it short. No, so I, I love wanna, it. Let's um, go. I want to ask you, um, because of your platform and because of the work that you've done and because of your knowledge base, um, if you could give one piece of advice to someone who's struggling or, you know, I don't expect this to go viral, but, you know, hopefully if there's one yeah. person that needs it and they see it, like what? If someone who's struggling, if you could give them one piece of advice um, on how to improve their emotional health or improve their anxiety or, or something of that nature, like what would it be? Oh, I love that. Um, you know, I would say at first I would have said self-compassion, but I, I get that that sounds like a big thing. And like, what is that? But I would start with curious observation. And I don't think a lot of us were afforded curious observation. I wasn't in the house of immigrants. It was like, if I made a mistake, it was criticism and judgment. And like, I should know better, even though the adults in my home didn't know better and they weren't showing me better. And so as a child, I was like, you should, I, I literally, you know, I've been on this journey um, and I was just talking to a friend that I can't believe how bad my self-talk was because it used to be really bad. And now I'm like, I used to say those mean things, but with practicing curious observation instead of judgment and that letting that inner critic rule, being curious about how you're feeling and why you don't feel safe. Like you said, Jay, like, wait a minute, I didn't just snap at him. There was a reason. Okay. Well, why? And be curious. Exactly. Okay. What protectors coming up? Why are they trying to protect me? And then be curious to, and then observe. Okay, I felt it in my body. You know what? I knew I probably shouldn't have met up with Jay because I was already in a bad mood. What can I do next time? So really just a, a lot of this is going to have to be stopping this uh, capitalistic need of urgency. I got to respond. I got to figure this out. I got to process this. Why am I still in my head about this? That is the capitalism, like urgency, pop off on them. Uh, you know, cut them off. Wait a minute. I'm going to just refrain from the urgency. And it's hard. I do. I have to talk, talk myself into this every day. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's actually mindfully. Okay. I'm going to actually sit with mindful curi curiosity and observation. And so when we do this, we give ourselves breath, time to breathe, but we also give ourselves room for compassion and a human experience and go, Oh, Oh, you were feeling like that. And then I would say, follow it up with self-compassion. And what self-compassion is, is really giving yourself kindness in every moment. So it's talking to yourself like you would a friend, sure. But it's really kind of giving yourself rational validation. Like, oh, Cynthia, um, you know, before the call, you know, uh, Jay is didn't mention it, but I was scrambling to look for my headphones. But Last year, I would have just been in a shame spiral, Jay. I would have just canceled with you and been like, forget it. And all behind the scenes, I would have been like, you forgot your head. Like, what's wrong with you? If people yeah. knew that you forgot your headphones, you're a therapist. Like, this is your business. Like, I would have gone down, Jay. And so I let you see me like fumbling around for my headphones. But it's in that vulnerability. I can give myself self-compassion of like, hey, you had a busy week. You're looking for your phone, your headphones. And I made it work. But 
self-compassion is really recognizing that you're a human having a human experience, uh, uh, offering yourself empathy, regardless of if you messed up or if you didn't, it doesn't matter. You still get grace and empathy, but also being vulnerable enough to share. So maybe I share with a friend and I say, Jay, this is how I'm feeling. And then you're like, I've had a morning too. When we can be vulnerable, it, it lets us be in that compassion. So that's my advice. Really just holding yourself with tenderness for, for observation and letting there be room for self-compassion. Wow. That was great. That really was. And Thank you, I think that, you know, the more we learn about what we can be instead of what we were told we had to be or what we've been programmed to be by, you know, society or the norm, we can, we can really take a step back and like you say, get curious and, and ask yourself, well, why am I doing this? Or did I, did I have to respond like that? Or, you know, when we talk to ourselves in a negative way, you know, people may say, oh my God, I'm such an idiot. No, you're human doing hard things, you know? And I think that yeah. at the end of the day, that's what it's about. And I think if we make space for curious observation, which was very hard for me, especially if you don't love yourself, which I didn't five years ago, did not love. I can't even believe I said that. Like, But I know there's so many of us in this because this is how we're conditioned. But when we are so on autopilot with, with our self-talk being so harsh because our caregivers probably were like critical of us, we start to think that that is just the monologue in our head. It's the record. It's it's a belief. It's true. And when we can be curious with ourselves, we're kind, we can kind of be like, wait, what did I say to myself? Wait a minute. Is that true? And observe like when the thoughts come up, when you start to, when your mindset starts to go down, oh, I was around this person. And then my voice started to really ramp up, you know, and really plucking out, observing who is that voice in your head? Is it you? Is it your mom? Is it your dad? Is it a teacher that talks to you? And that's when we can like observe, wait a minute, that's not even true. So really just providing a space to explore yourself. And I think so many of us just don't, we just go back down to the like, I'm, but really holding time to, to explore yourself is beautiful. Wow. Yeah. I mean, you can, you can be triggered by anything and that trigger, once you're triggered, it just, <coughs> it's a downward spiral and it's not even something you're conscious or you're aware of. It just happens because your nervous system is programmed to react based on a threat or perceived fear. So that was, that was really good. Right. Even in the past. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How do you do it? You've been good at, at like noticing when you're dysregulated and then moving out of it. And you, I, it's, you were described how you can even observe how you were and how you are now. How would, how have you come around to this? Well, like I was explaining to you, um, I used to feel like, you know, whatever um, protective part or emotion or trigger was driving the bus and I would just have to sit there on autopilot and allow whatever was going to happen to happen. And then once I started learning how to self-regulate, I got, I, and that, that all started with getting curious, you know, like what, like what is happening right now? Like, why am I feeling like this? And then you get to the root emotion and it, you know, it may be, well, I don't feel seen or I don't feel heard or, you know, I felt rejected. Well, why did I feel rejected? And as you start to do that work, you you come out of activation and then like you notice it and you're almost like it's almost like you wake up out of a nervous system response. It, and I, it, I've been doing it lately and I just, you know, I'll, I'll notice that I'm doing it and I'll just smile at myself and I say, wow, like 
I'm self-regulating. I'm, I'm reprogramming my nervous system. And, and the it, cool thing about that is you absolutely are, you know, that like you're making new neuropathways. The brain is ready to evolve, ready to heal you. It wants to know, but we have to put in the new data. So every time you do that, it's reparent. You're reparenting yourself. You're reparenting that inner child. Cause I, even when, as you said it, I was like, isn't that what our parents should do when you're like, I had a bad day. Okay. Well, what happened, Jay? Okay, well, yeah, they took your food at lunch. I would be upset too. And then what happened? So then you went hungry all day, Jay. Of course you were hung angry later. So that is what a parent could have done. But if they didn't have the spoons themselves to do that, you're reparenting now. And what you're doing is actually creating new neural pathways. It's like a text message. Um, your brain sends a text message to your body saying, actually we're good now. I realized that I felt unsafe, but I'm not safe. Okay, body. So, and then the body's like, okay. And then tells the body, the, the rest of the, of the, the nervous system, like we can relax now, but it takes you making that new neural pathway. That's so cool, Jay. And like you said, it keeps getting like, you can do it faster. Mm -hmm. That's true. And it, I mean, it feels good. Yeah. You, you You're toning your nervous your system. Boom. That's exactly what I was going to say. Yep. So you feel All right, well, it. it's been 36 minutes and I am so grateful for your time because I know I said I only wanted like 10 to 15 to start. So don't worry, um, Jay. Okay. Well, I want to ask time... you a question. Oh, shoot. Go ahead. What would we find you doing in your childhood joy? Like, oh, there goes Jay. You can't even call him because he's too busy. Oof. Um, probably just carefree playing. Like the first thing I thought about was maybe being at the playground or playing with friends, playing basketball, just something, just mindless joy, um, with, with friends or, or, you know, just carefree playing to where I didn't have a care in the world and everything felt good. You know what? It's also, I, it's, I picture you outside but mm -hmm. also you keep talking about it in your body. It sounds like it, it, it would just like you're, you're releasing joy through your body, playing with friends, you know, like basketball. That's a lot of movement. So yeah. do you always do you express your joy a lot in your body? I do. I mm. think about it. Yeah, I do. Um, I noticed that when my first big injury and I couldn't play basketball anymore or, or I couldn't be as athletic as I was. That was, if I think about it now, that was, that was when I started to have a big decline. And it, and I read something about how um, energy is released through the body and how animals, like if they're, like if a, an antelope is being chased by a lion or something um, and it's able to get away after the fact, it will shake the energy out to release it. But as humans, we don't have that. But if, I guess if we are, you know, able to be athletic or run or play sports and or dance or things that will allow us to move we can release the energy and when i wasn't able to anymore that was when i also started having health issues and i started having problems with my gut um and the more i dug into that if um the nervous system if you're in fight or flight the body is going to put all of its resources into making sure that you're able to escape. So the last thing that your body is worried about is digesting food. 
So mm. your digestive system that shuts down. Sense. If you're in fight or flight for 20 years, you don't have blood flow to your gut. Food starts to ferment and rot and you start to develop leaky gut. You start to get IBS, you start to have all these issues and your gut is your, your second brain and where most of your immune system is. So that's when you start to develop autoimmune diseases, all kinds of stuff. And it, it made so yeah. much sense to me. I was like, oh my God, this is wild. And it all starts with- And it was your spirit too. It was your spirit and your body like having a conflict because your spirit probably loved the basketball, loved the joy, yeah. the community right. of it. Mm -hmm. Indeed. Mm. But you know, when we have these conversations, we can see it. And even if I don't, I don't play basketball, but we can relate to it. So I love that you're having a platform to even have these conversations because how often are we going to have these conversations with our friends, right? We're like, just come over let's get faded or whatever. <laughs> but I want to talk about this stuff. And that's why I love, I called the universe to this year to please bring me people who want to have meaningful conversations. One of the things in my um, inner child stuff is I've always been vulnerable. I've been a vulnerable mm -hmm. kid my whole life. Same. And that has Same. caused me a lot of hurt, but it's the, what keeps me now meeting people that have really great conversations. So I love it. Thank you for sharing that. I yeah. I'm, I'm so happy that you agreed to do this with me and that, um, the work that I've been able to do has put me in a place to where you, you were able to see me and agree yeah. to do this with me, you know? So it's, it's twofold. And I feel like, and it's cool because, you know, we can say these things and then we're like, does that make sense? Are you like, do you, are you interested? And then you're like, yes. And then I read your stuff and yeah. I was like, whoa, but, and sometimes people leave, like I host like workshops and experiences. <laughs> And when I do the inner child visualization, a lot of times, you know, we we're like using our third eye. So our eyes are closed and I open my eyes and they open their eyes and I just get this look. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I did it. I did it again. I did too much. Like I took you there. Like what am I? And they're just like, no, it's just that I haven't felt this vulnerable in so long. And so people are really just trying to come to their awareness of like, what was I just in? But it's, but I usually don't, sometimes I'll hear back from them, but for you to be like documenting in your pictures and your writing, like I feel these things, that is so beautiful. And imagine when your son can read that and be like, wow, my, my dad so fluidly expresses himself. Like what a gift. That's, that's something that I have always thought about to where, you know, when he gets older, he'll be able to go back and look and, and I hope he's proud. You know, I, I also hope that he's at a point to where those things are normal to him, you know, to where he, he doesn't even have to think about trauma or self-regulating. And I, I realized that um, I have been parenting him through the eyes of my experience. And then once I realized that, number one, it was huge for me to be able to right. put on the brakes and say, whoa, like you're, you, you said it was going to stop with you. And a lot of things have, but even being able to say, you know what, his experience is his experience. He deserves to be authentic in his own way. And I don't want him to have to go through the things that I went through, even though the things that I went through weren't, you know, my parents didn't mean to do the things that they were doing the best that they could. Um, and I'm trying to do the best that I can as, as well. But I, I have awareness now, you know, I, I, I'm aware of, of the things that damaged me. So I don't want to in any way, shape or form pass that on. And if I can reprogram my nervous system or my DNA 
hopefully when he has kids, you know, there, there won't be any rats recognizing the um, right. poison in the, in the food. You know? Right. So, um, I, there's so many things that I'm, that I'm trying to do different and be better at. And I think just the, the awareness of wanting to do that is going to keep me humble and keep me working hard. Yeah. I, yeah, I hear you. And even just sharing this, like in a podcast form for other people to hear, like, I was thinking that I was feeling like that. I think it's so important, especially if for a man to say it, I think it's so valuable. And yeah, I find myself, I apologize to my kids. And then I'm like, did I do too much? Like I am like, and then I guilt myself the whole night. And then I wait a minute. Yes, you yelled at them, but then you went and held them, apologized. Maybe you apologized again. And then the next morning, you're not still stonewalling them. You're not ignoring them. And and yet something inside me, little sin, is like, did you do enough? Like, how could you? You said you'd never. And then big sin's like, yeah, but like, I'm also, you know, so I, I, I too have these conflicts. But at the end of the day, I remind myself like, wow, sin, like you've done so much more than you were given you, you've reached for the, you've created these tools out of dust. You didn't even have these tools and look what you're doing. So I, I try to ground myself and say, okay, even if my epigenetic code is this, I'm passing on better genes. I don't mean to say that disrespectfully to my family. I have the space and the privilege to be able to explore this for my, my lineage this way and my lineage that way. So yes, it's not easy at all. Every, I mean, I cry every day about it. It's profound, but I, but I wouldn't have it any other way. Cause then we get to have these exchanges. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it's inner work and it, it's an inside job. Nobody else can do it for you. There's no elevator. You got to take the stairs. Um, but just being able to, to know that you're, you're doing something or undoing something that in itself, it gives me a lot of pride and a lot of joy. And I, you know, I, I don't look at my ancestors or my parents or or anybody that came before me with with disrespect. I have compassion for them because there are things that they did that I would never be able to do with what they had and and you know the the limited amount of resources that they had. So I I applaud them and I praise them for what they did and what they were able to do and the things that they didn't do. I'll pick up for them and carry the rest of the load. Mm. That's beautiful, right? Yes. And I think that, I mean, because I used to do self-compassion burnout workshops and I was not buying my own stuff. I was like, self-compassion, talk to yourself nicely. <laughs> and I, I started drinking my own Kool-Aid. That's how I've gotten mm. this glow because I used to work in death and dying. And I was death and dying, y'all. I was like, self-compassion, you know. But what I've learned from self-compassion through doing it, you can't just read about it. You got to feel it, is when you work on your self-compassion enough, it brings you around to compassion for others. And that's the beautiful part about, because once like I started noticing it with my son, he has my round nose and through my life, my mom was always like, Oh, your nose. It didn't matter if like, whatever I did, it'd be like, yeah, maybe one day you can get nose surgery. And I, one day I was seeing my baby and I was like, I love his nose. And I was kissing it. And my husband was like, I love his nose because it's your nose. And I was like, it is my nose. And then I thought the other way, oh no, right? And then my husband's like, but I love that. And I was like, I love it too. And I was able to like tease out that belief because it was on my son. And it was a, it was that awareness that I was willing to pull out of like, wait a minute, he has my nose. It's a beautiful nose. 
maybe I have a beautiful nose. Maybe this nose is not what my mom thought, but maybe I can have compassion for her colonized thinking that noses had to be teeny tiny, you know? And so that has taken a long time, but it's having enough awareness and self-compassion for myself. I could have just been like, damn it, my kid has this ugly nose. And then I do the thing of when he's older, oh, your nose. But it stopped with me. But not only did it stop with me, I got to love my own. I love whatever. Sometimes I'm like, oh, yeah, you do have a round nose. But now I'm like, that's your nose. It's a unique ass nose. But my point is, is I could have kept it going and made fun of my son's nose. But in him, thanks to him, I was able to see my own inner child and go, look at your cute little nose. So that's the the awareness that we can build. And it's just, yeah, it's profound. I love that. I love yeah. that. So, like, I mean, uh, de- deconstructing is, or deconstruction is a term I was unaware of. I didn't even know that it was possible to reparent mm. or to, or to change the way you feel about yourself. Because you know, I, I think a lot of us have um, body issues and and you know, look at ourselves and think this is ne- think negatively, or I wish I had this, or I wish I had that. Um, and it took a while to to learn to love myself because I was told that I was supposed to look a certain way, do certain things, act a certain way. And because I couldn't always meet, um, you know, what whatever it was I was supposed to, I would feel bad. Like, you know, I, I didn't meet the mark or I missed the mark or, or what have you. And just knowing that that's what they think or that's how they feel. That has nothing to do with me. Now I can kind of, you know, go backwards and say, okay, anytime you feel like that, oh, no, that has nothing to do with you. You're fine the way you are. Right. Oh my gosh. It's so wild because I feel like we've heard this from our grandmother. We've heard this wisdom years, but every like decade it gets repackaged and I'm finally ready to receive that. Right. Like I've heard that, like, what does that got to do with you? Or don't worry about what they think. But it's really true, yes, of detaching from expectations of others. But it's hard because we realize that everybody else has their own expectations. So I could be like, Jay, think what you want, but I am released from your expectations. But here you are with these expectations of me. And that still might affect me because you might not give me the job or whatever because you're holding on to expectations. So uh, I read this Instagram post this week, it was like, the only person you can really hold accountable is yourself. And I was like, well, ain't that some shit. (laughs) And there's so much beauty in that. There's so much beauty in that because I'm like, here I am trying to hold my parents accountable. And it's not going to happen, baby girl, because they are not in your time frame, in your perspective. They don't even have the tools that you've built and you're expecting them to get it because you've done this inner work. Like they're still them, Cynthia, you know? So yes. And what, what word I want to bring up is this word has saved me is the word duality and duality is being able to hold two contradicting experiences simultaneously and have gratitude or observation for both. I just made that definition up. I don't know if I just like top my head, but what it is, is duality of like, yes, my parents you know, they caused a lot of the issues I have now through their criticism, their, their judgment. And could it also be true duality that they did the best they could. And that's how they were raised. And they thought they were making me stronger. So maybe it's that they did love me and they also fucked me up. 
duality. And I find duality in so many places, like the duality of my broken foot, right? Like, oh my gosh, I have a broken foot and everyone needs to take care of me. And I have to ask for help. That is so difficult. And everybody has to take care of me. <laughs> and I have to learn how to ask for help. You see, same right. thing, but the duality of it. And that in reparenting has been all the difference. Like just thinking, oh no, if my mom is dead or my, my dad's an asshole, I'm never going to get that again. It's gone. They're gone. But reparenting says you have all that within you. You can reparent the inner child that's scared. You can be that voice, that love within you, um, even if you didn't have it. That is like so profound to me. And then people say, yeah, but I don't know how because I wasn't given it. But your inner child knows how because they are the sweetest part of us. They are that beautiful honey that was like squashed down. So we do have all the tools. We don't need all these other people. And that's the duality of it too. You know, we have the tools and yet sometimes we have to grieve that we didn't get these tools. Yeah. Duality. I mean, two things can coexist at once. Ugh. Boy, do they, right? <laughs> So where can people find you on uh, social media? Thank you. Yeah, uh, they can find me on rooted underscore in underscore reflection or um, online rootedinreflection.org is my website. And I host unique conversations uh, where we talk about, you know, I also like I like to post things that are like kind of free information because I feel like why are we gatekeeping this? So I like to talk about really how uh, colonialism, capitalism, creates this stress-induced um, uh, response in our bodies and how reparenting and ancestral healing can help us get out of that. So I do like workshops, I do support groups and one-on-one, -on -one, and I'm looking to do just more speaking engagements because I really think more people should have access to these conversations. So find me on Rooted in Reflection and and share me or just, just DM me because we love to talk about this, right, Jay? Yeah, we do for sure. Yeah, thank you All for right, having well, me on and yeah, for seeing um, me as well. It's for a therapist to be able to say thank you for seeing me to me. Like it, I don't know, it's it's crazy because I like to think of myself as just an average guy who's doing hard things, you know? Um so that is 100% validating and I I appreciate um being able to sit in this space with you and have this conversation with you. And being able to host you, you know, like it, it, it does a lot for me to continue working hard at being vulnerable and, and not only from, you know, getting this from, from you or, or people like you, but the people who reach out to me and tell me, you know, dude, I can relate so much to what you wrote or thank you so much. Or, you know, I've had some people tell me, you know, what you wrote, like saved my life. And that is so rewarding. Like that makes me it is the fuel for me to continue working hard to to get deeper and to be better and to do more because like i said if i can be a bridge for just one person to get to therapy or to to find healing or to reparent themselves or to you know be able to comfort their inner child it's worth it it really is so you're opening a door or a window and saying hey i'll be over here if you want to talk and so even if someone's not like i'm gonna i'll follow you right there one day they're like well i know that i'm struggling and jay has this door because he's shared in vulnerability and you know what you're doing even little by little if nobody even acknowledges it they know that that door is open because you've shown it so thank you and i want to share just as a woman 
um, when I, I was flying home from Mexico this last July, I just went back ever since then. I have like been super in touch with my ancestors, but on the flight back was all these posts are all this news about Roe versus Wade being overturned. And I can't tell you the sickness and sadness I felt in my body as a woman. And honestly, Jay, since then, it's been really hard to be around men. I tell my husband, I can't believe that even when I go to a store and there's an overwhelming amount of men, I feel anxious. My body feels this like, because it, that Roe versus Wade being overturned felt like, it felt like an attack on our bodies. And when I hear men like you reach out and say, I've been doing this inner work and the things you say, it makes me feel safe. It makes me feel like, wow, men are doing this too. They want this and I don't have to do it for them. I don't have to be their partner saying, come on, do the work because that's also emotional labor. So I just want to say from a woman, it is, it helps us feel more safe to know that more men are doing this. And that you're holding space for them because I don't know if I can all the time, right? Because my own triggers. So if that means anything to you, it, it really has a ripple effect on the the feminine over here. So thank you. Wow, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's it's an honor to be able to hear that from um, a woman. You know, it, there needs to be nothing more than just a woman to be able to feel safe because of something that I'm doing. I I appreciate you taking the time to say that. Thank you. And we both need to feed this like vulnerability of like, yes, keep going. Even if I'm a therapist, I get messages that sometimes I'm like, oh my gosh. And then I get a message and I'm like, oh, I can breathe again because we're human. You're a first responder. So, you know, you could be doing some mindless BS with your time and you're doing this, Jay. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me.